We're going to pick our study back up in Galatians. We had a fun trip last week back into Isaiah. We shot back in time about a thousand years, and we, we went away from Galatia, and, and we focused on the, the nation of Israel. Uh, but today we're going to jump back forward that thousand years. We're going to focus back in on Galatia, which is uh, modern-day Turkey-ish in that area there. And we're going to take a look back at uh, what, what Paul was getting at there. If you find yourself without a Bible this morning, feel free to shoot up your hand, and we'd be happy to bring you one. Spoiler alert, just warning you, of all the days I say this, you probably really want to take me up on this offer today. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you today, just throw your hand up and we'll bring you one. We're going to jump back into Galatians at chapter 3, if you'd like to start turning there. If you remember, Paul has spent the first two chapters of Galatians, uh, Galatians defending uh, against two attacks, right? The first attack was his apostleship. Does he have the authority to be saying what he's saying? The second attack is the attack on the gospel, right? Is it faith alone, or is it faith plus the law, faith plus circumcision? Uh, and this is what Paul has been fighting this whole time. We've heard his autobiographical accounts. It's a big word. Uh, of who he was before he was saved and the things he was involved in after he was saved. We saw Paul stand up to the Judaizers in Jerusalem. And we saw Peter, James, and John extend that right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. Remembering that's not just a handshake, that's an, that's an endorsement of their ministry. Right? Two weeks ago, uh, we actually saw Paul giving uh, Peter a bit of a dressing down in front of everybody for his hypocritical eating habits. Right? When uh, certain men would come from Jerusalem, he would eat at the, the kosher table. It should be noted uh, that we proved in a completely non-biblical manner that Paul was indeed a gravy guy. Right? If you remember that, Paul was a gravy guy. Somebody remembered it. Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> Pastor Brad's gone for a month, and look where we've gone. Sorry, Pastor Brad. <laughs> Went to gravy. Today we're going to be seeing the end of Paul's reminding of the Galatians of their history by going through the very things that they experienced through the truths that they were taught while he was there. So if you're able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to start at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for this time together. Please teach us as we're sitting here, Lord, and help us to be changed. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. So for those of you with a bulletin, you may be wondering why I cut off in verse 5. Well, the reason is my sermon wasn't quite buttoned up when I had to give my, my selection of, of scripture and, and sermon title to Bryn. So I gave her that preemptively, and as I got digging into this a little bit here, the truths and the, and the things that were presented in those first five verses just became overwhelming, and I knew that I needed to, to chop it down a bit. Um, as I mentioned, we detoured a bit into Isaiah 53 last week, but the week before that, we were looking at Paul's confrontation with Peter over the way that Peter had been acting. 
Peter had been fine eating with the Gentiles, right? There was a, there was a kosher table, and there was a Gentile table, and, and Peter had, had eaten with the Galatians, or with the, uh, the, the Gentiles, right up until some men from Jerusalem came down. And then whoop, he popped over to the kosher table. And we saw it, it didn't just affect Peter. Other Jews that were there began emulating him. Even Barnabas began emulating him. Right? Barnabas ended up at the kosher table. Barnabas, the guy that had gone with Paul to Jerusalem to defend the, the justification by faith only. Right? He'd stood in front of the council and, and, and said all the wonderful things that God was doing through the Gentiles. Even Barnabas got caught up in that. And Paul knew he had to address it. And Paul reminds the Galatians of this at the end of chapter 2 there, not to drag Peter through the mud or say, neener, 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 I'm the better apostle. Right? That's not why he was doing it. He was doing it because he wanted to show them how powerful and dangerous this devilishly inspired teaching could be. That teaching, uh, the teaching, of course, that, that Christ was the initial step into Christianity. You, you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, good. Step one. Step two, you get circumcised. Step three, you follow the law of Moses, right? That's that's what these Judaizers were coming into the church, and they were teaching this to the to the Galatians, and the Galatians were eating it up like a soup sandwich. So Paul confronts Peter, and he ends the confrontation with this sentence in, in chapter two, verse twenty-one: "I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly." Paul says that if we can be justified with, by the law, if I if I can go out and do good works. And be, and be justified and be saved, what in the world was Christ doing up on that cross? He didn't need to be there. If I can do it, why did he do that? And so now Paul's going to continue that thought, and he's going to start in chapter 3, verse 1, and he starts off with, oh, foolish Galatians. He's going to continue through these first five verses of chapter 3, and he's going to qualify that foolish part. right? He's going to show them that not only are they being foolish, but just as Paul made the point in that last verse of chapter 2 of, of pointing out that, they, that Christ had died for nothing if they could be um, sanctified by the law or justified by the law he was saying that now he's going to look at the whole trinity right? In, in verse 1 they're going to insult Jesus who was publicly portrayed to them in verses 2 through 4 they're going to insult the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in them and then in verse 5 they're going to insult God the Father's supplying of that Holy Spirit to them as I sat down uh, Tuesday morning for a little family Bible study, we read a verse that I want to share with you. Uh, if you want to turn there, it's in Isaiah 44, and I'm going to start at verse 13. Uh, we see in, earlier in this passage, Isaiah is explaining the folly of, of idolatry. And he, he talks about somebody that makes a statue out of metal and stone. And, and now he's going to talk about uh, a, someone that would shape a, an idol out of wood. And he says, uh, verse 13, another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of a man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn, so he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats the meat as he roasts, a roast, and he's satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. 
I have seen the fire, but the rest of it he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. Can you imagine watching someone walk into the woods, chop down a tree, cut it in half, use half of it to cook dinner, use the other half to make an idol, and then bow down and worship it? probably look at them and say, oh, foolish lumberjack, what are you doing? And then just like we would say, oh, foolish lumberjack, here Paul is saying, oh, foolish Galatians. Paul is looking at, at everything he taught the Galatians, everything they've been through, and he was perplexed. Just like our foolish lumberjack returning and worshiping the work of his hands, the Galatians are missing the point of the cross and worshiping the wooden man-made rules that please the flesh and deny the sacrifice of Christ. The, the word foolishness isn't so much of a slur, it's, it's, it's more of an accusation. The Greek word is anoyatos, and it leans towards having poor judgment or being mentally lazy. So Paul isn't insulting their intelligence. He's not calling them idiots. He's saying they're using their intelligence. Jesus uses the same word when he's talking to uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. If you want to Turn to Luke 24. Uh, I'm going to read you to verse 25 there. But on the road to Emmaus, it's, it's resurrection day, the, the first one, right? So like 2,022 years and a week ago, right? They're walking, and they're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile seven trek there. And they're talking about what's going on and what had happened that weekend, and they, they come across Jesus, and they don't recognize him. And to be fair, the Bible says that they were prevented from recognizing him, so we can't fault him there. But Jesus walks up to them, and he walks up to them a little bit, and he says, uh, what are these words that you're talking about? What are you talking about? And they look at him, and they say, and I'm paraphrasing here, they say, how in the world do you not know what just happened this weekend? Are you, were you under a rock something, somewhere? Where, how do you not know? And then Jesus says, and honestly, I think it's only because Jesus is fully man and fully God that he could pull this off with a straight face, right? He looks at them, and he says, what things? Right? The one who just three days ago endured mock trials, multiple beatings, bled out on a Roman cross while paying for an infinite price to save the souls of all who would believe. Then he rose from the dead. He talked to Mary at the tomb, and now he's casually strolling down the road, and he looks at these guys and he goes, what things? Right? So the disciples explain everything that happened. They tell him all, all about the, the crucifixion, and they they tell him about Mary, how she came back to the house and she was hysterical. And she, she said that Jesus had come back to life. And they, just, they were confused by it. They didn't understand it. And Jesus looks at them and he says, Oh foolish men, there in verse 25, Oh foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Oh foolish men. He was saying that they weren't using their brains. They were too caught up in what was happening around them to remember and believe what the prophets had said. Just like the Galatians weren't using their minds to tackle this issue of justification by faith alone. Paul continues in verse 1. He says, who has bewitched you? It's an interesting word. The word in Greek is baskano, and it's an interesting word. It's used exactly one time in the whole Bible, right here. Right here. And the implication would be that Paul didn't want this word to ever be confused with something that would be considered good. Right? If it's in five different verses, maybe you can interpret it a little bit different. It's used once. 
It would be like me calling uh, Brent, and I did this to him in the first service. I, I'm just going to continue the trend. It'd be like me calling Brent and walking up and saying, you're a jerk. Right? There's no possible way I could ever come back from that and say, well, you know, I meant jerk in the good way. Right? I know you thought it was something bad, but I call everyone I like a jerk. Right? It wouldn't fly. And no one, no one could ever look at this word in the same way, bewitched, and think it was a good thing because it was used this one time. Bascado implies a misleading, a misleading by flattery or with bad promises. The bad promise of law instead of faith. Paul is acknowledging that the Galatians aren't using their minds like they should, but he's also pointing out that there is someone else involved in the error. He doesn't say who, remember, he says who is bewitching you. But I think we can deduce he's at least talking about the Judaizers. Right? He's talking about those men that, that came down and demanded that they follow the law. He could also be saying Satan is involved in their bewitchment. We know that Satan doesn't want God's churches to succeed. He definitely wouldn't have want, wanted the, the churches in Galatia to succeed. He definitely doesn't want our church to succeed. We know he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But whatever he's saying, he wants to make sure that the Galatians understand they are being bamboozled. Basquedo also implies that there was some sort of an emotional experience as opposed to an experience with the truth. We see this today with the rise of the popular phrase, I feel like, right? I feel like I know this answer. Or I feel like I wasn't being that rude. Or I feel like I wasn't driving that fast, right? Feelings are okay. Feelings aren't bad when they're tethered to truth. But without truth, this person wouldn't know the answer. They'd be considered rude, and they'd probably be getting a speeding ticket, right? And the Galatians had the truth. Paul had been there. He taught them. Continuing in verse 1, Paul says, speaking of the Galatians, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Those words, publicly portrayed, point to how they would have communicated large truths in that time. This is well before email or even the U.S. Postal Service, text messages, Right? So if you had a big, a big announcement, something you wanted to get out to everybody, uh, you would scrawl it onto a board, you'd take that board down to the marketplace, pop it up there, and everybody that walked by would see that announcement. Right? So we're going we're gonna to write a big poster board, we're going to take it down to Safeway, pop it right on the front door. Everybody walking in is going to see it. Right? This was how Paul taught them. He publicly taught them about Christ. He, was, he had a very public ministry. In Acts, we read of whole towns rioting, trying to kill Paul and other Christians. Christ was portrayed publicly in front of all the towns. And not just Christ, but Christ crucified. The Greek word for crucified, staruho, and it is, it's written in the perfect tense. And I've bored you with the, the grammar before, but I'll do it again. Right? The perfect tense. That means it happened in the past. But whatever happened in the past still has an effect on what's going on now, right? So Christ was crucified, and therefore the Galatians were being saved. Christ was crucified, therefore we are being saved, right? That's the perfect tense. By denying that fact, by denying that Christ's sacrifice was enough, the Galatians were insulting one of the members of the Trinity, Jesus the Son. We do it too. Every time we question God's love for us because we didn't do something, or more likely, every time we think that God should love us more because we did do something, 
Every time, every time we do that, we insult what Jesus did for us on the cross. Right? I, I've read my Bible every day this week. Woohoo! God really loves me this week. Or missed a couple days this week. I didn't get to my Bible. Didn't get, it, get, didn't get to the prayer, so God probably doesn't love me as much this week. It's not the way it works. Remember Isaiah. He paid for all sins. The ones you did, the ones you're doing, and the ones you always you will do in the future. Amen. He paid for all sin. Right? His love for us does not change. Amen. So how do we avoid hearing, oh foolish Britwoodians? How do we avoid that? Well, we use the thing that God so graciously placed between our ears, our brains. Turn with me to Acts 17. Acts 17, we're going to go to uh, verse 10. And I just mentioned that whole towns were rioting, and that's what had happened to Paul and Silas, right? They were on the road, they were on a missionary trip, they got kicked out of one town, and so they end up sailing away to, or running away to uh, Berea. And Acts 17, verse 10, he says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Notice that Paul calls the Bereans noble-minded, for they received with great eagerness their heart. They received Jesus into their heart with great eagerness, but they would examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now think about this for a second. This is Paul, okay? This is Paul the Apostle, right? He's, he's traveled, he's set up churches, he's well known as, as defending the gospel, right? So he goes into this church or the synagogue in Berea and he says, brothers, Isaiah 53 says that uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, so every one of us has sinned. And the Bereans were like, oh, that's good stuff. It does say that. Okay, okay. Keep going. And they say, uh, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was Christ. That's what Christ said on the cross there. And they'd say, oh, that, that's awesome. It does say that there. Yeah, okay. And they would examine those scriptures daily. Every time he talked, even though he was the Apostle Paul, they made sure to ground themselves in the word. They had, they had a, two foolproof attributes. They had a heart that accepted the gospel. For they received the word with great eagerness. Second, they used their minds to ensure that they would not be misled or bewitched. Our Galatian friends had accepted the gospel with great eagerness, but they had not applied their minds to doctrine. They didn't know their word enough to withstand the bewitching that came upon them. The question for us today is, are we using our minds to ensure that we at Brentwood Bible Fellowship aren't bewitched. There's plenty of churches out there that are bewitched. There's plenty of churches in America you could walk in and, and pastor may, may quote a scripture verse, may not. Maybe he just tells you what the Lord laid on his heart that week. No scripture. Nothing to back it up out of the Bible. Maybe he, he tells you something that he thinks. I want, I, want to, I want to share with you what I think. I don't care what he thinks. I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what's in this Bible. Right. I warned you in the beginning of this. I gave you a spoiler alert. So I don't feel bad saying this. 
If you didn't take a Bible in the beginning, please know I say this with all the love that Paul had for his Galatian brothers. But if you aren't reading your Bible with me, how do you know that what I'm saying is true? How can you guard against being misled by me? You can be sure if I mislead you, I will suffer greater punishment. James uh, 3.1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. But brothers and sisters, if you allow yourself to be misled, there's still judgment. It's kind of like a little kid getting spanked with a little wooden spoon, laughing at another kid getting spanked with a big wooden paddle. They both hurt, right? You want to make sure that you're not misled. And along those lines, I want to add one more thing here. From time to time, I may ask you, and I hope others are asking you, uh, the same question. What are you studying in your Bible these days? Right? If someone asks you that, please, please, please don't take that as them trying to puff themselves up or, or saying they're better than you, right? As for me, I'm blessed to be able to study God's word for a living, right? What a blessing. So if I ask you that, please know that I genuinely want to know what you're studying. And if you haven't been reading your Bible or praying regularly, I'm not going to shove my finger in your face and say, Sinner! You're evil! You're headed to hell! That's not, that's not what it's for. That's not what it's for. Anyone who asks you that question should be there to encourage you, to point you back to God's word with a friendly word of encouragement, and even a prayer to help you find that, that time and that motivation. Like Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. And you may be saying, well, that's great. I, like, I, I want to study the Bible, but I'm not a pastor. I mean, you get to go to seminary, right? You get to you get to study the Word, and you get to look at all these things. How am I supposed to know what the Bible says? Fair. That's fair. Let's turn in our Bibles to, um, we're going to go to 1 John 2.27. 1 John 2.27. Back there by the uh, Revelation there, 1 John, chapter 2, and we're going to go to verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. That anointing there, that's the Holy Spirit, right? As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you, about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. We have a teacher. Psalm 119 talks, uh, it's, it's David talking about how he's wiser than all of his, other, uh, of, his, of his teachers because the Holy Spirit has instructed him. We have a teacher. You can read your Bible, and, and if you are a believer, you have that Holy Spirit in you, he will teach you. And as you go to, to study your Bible throughout the week, um, if you're even if you're not concerned, you should be concerned that you want to understand it correctly, right? But throw in your prayer, Holy Spirit, teach me. Teach me. That's why you hear me say it. Every Sunday I get up here, every Sunday, I say the same thing. It's profitable for you, and I don't mind repeating it, right? Holy Spirit, teach us. We want that. We want him to teach us what we're looking at and what it truly means. Working together, building one another up in Christ. We should never hear, oh foolish Brent Williams. 
And if we, like the writer of Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. If we encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, we will strive against being bewitched, having had Jesus Christ portrayed to us as crucified. Paul's going to continue now in verse 2, and he's going to fire off six very rapid-fire, very sharp questions. And the intent there is to remind the Galatians of all they had experienced when they received Christ. Five of those questions are going to be in verses 2 through 4. Remember, I told you, they were insulting the work that Christ had done in verse 1. Now they're going to insult the work that the Holy Spirit had done in verses 2 through 4. And he's got five of those questions in there. He says, uh, starting in verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. It's funny he says that, but then he asks a whole bunch of questions, right? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Question one. Or by hearing with faith? Question two. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Question three. Are you now being perfected in the flesh? Question four. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Question five. He says, did you receive the Spirit? In, in biblical times, right? In, in, right after uh, Christ had died and, and the church was getting set up, there, there was an era where, like Pentecost, we saw the Holy Spirit pour out on people, right? When there were the tongues of flame and they were speaking in tongues, right? And then we see in, in Acts 10, verse 44, you, you can look that up for homework, we see Peter at Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a, a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion, right? And, and God had sent Peter to him. And as Peter's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit pours out on his house, and they all receive it. And, and, and Peter and the Jews that are with him look at them and say, that's the same thing that happened to us on Pentecost. Right? The, the whole purpose of this, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit there during that time was so that the Jews who had for so long, for thousands of years, been the chosen people. Now, now we're going to introduce the Gentiles in, which is completely opposite of what they ever would have thought. So God is going to come in, and he's going to pour out his spirit on the Jews at Pentecost, and then he's going to start pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles. And they're going to see those, and they're going to say, wait, the Gentiles are receiving the same spirit that we receive. They're one with us now. Now there is no Jew and Gentile. Now there is only Christian in Christ. He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? This digs back into our, our doctrines, right? When, when you're saved, when you make that commitment to Jesus Christ, when you dedicate your life to him, when you repent of your sins, you're justified. You get struck by lightning, you die, you go straight to heaven, right? Doesn't often happen that way. So what happens then is we're glorified, right? We're working through glorification. And that's aligning the ship towards Christ. We're now, our whole life should all be all about turning the Titanic around and pointing it towards Christ. Right? That's glorification. That's being perfected. Right? And he, and he says, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is it the law that's coming in and turning you to Christ? Not at all. The law shows us our need for Christ. But it doesn't point us to Christ. Right? Faith, our faith is what's going to point us to Christ. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
they had suffered. I mean, we, we, we talked about the, the riots and we talked about um, the stonings that had happened, right? They, they tried to kill Paul. They thought they killed Paul. They didn't. Or maybe they didn't. God brought him back. I don't know. Either way, there was, it was pretty normal for Christians to suffer. If, if not, at least physically, at least they would have suffered some form of discrimination, right? And so he's looking at them and he's saying, look, you suffered all these things. When, when way back when you first got saved, if you'd been circumcised, there were people that were doing that. They were becoming circumcised just to avoid the Jews picking on them, right? They could say, no, 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 I'm circumcised. Right? Oh, okay, we'll let you go, right? They could have just done that in the beginning. They could have said, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm circumcised, and then, and then they could have avoided all the pain that came after that. They could have avoided the stonings, the riots, the, the financial damage that happened, the, the familial, right, the, the family uh, ties that would have been broken. They could have avoided all of that. But they didn't because they had faith. And he's saying, now after all this time, after everything you've gone through, you're just going to switch? Was all that for vain? All that thing you went through, that was for vain? Paul continues. It's his final question there in, in uh, verse 5. He says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Who provides the Spirit? Take a quick look. Look at uh, what Jesus says. Uh, Luke 11, uh, 13. Luke 11, 13. Dorothy told me in the first service I needed to do sword drills with you guys. You guys know what sword drills are? We do this in youth group. You put your hands like this, you have to keep your thumbs out. And then we call out a verse, and then yeah. And the first one that gets there, they stand up and they read it, and they get a piece of candy. So, maybe, maybe we'll start doing some sword drills. It'll be fun. <laughs> Luke 11, 13. If then, being evil, if you then, this is Jesus talking now, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? By returning to the law, the Galatians had insulted all three members of the Trinity. In verse 1, they, they insulted the work of Christ. What he'd done on the cross there, that word crucifixion there, meaning the end, it draws to mind, it is finished. Right? The last thing Jesus said as he hung on that cross, it is finished. In verses 2 through 4, they, they mocked the Holy Spirit. They, they, they said that they received it uh, through, through law, not faith. They said that they were foolish because they were being perfected by the law. They suffered. It wasn't a suffering in vain that they were just going to turn around in verse 4. And then in verse 5, so then he... So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law? God the Father who gives the Spirit, does he give the Spirit because you went out and saved the cat out of a tree? Does he give the Spirit because you maybe shared a gospel tract with somebody? He gives us that Spirit because we have faith. Oh foolish Galatians. A danger that we here at Brentwood Bible should still face today. We still face that danger, the danger of being bewitched, mm -hmm. the danger of, of shutting off our minds and putting the cruise control on and coming in Sunday and listening to this guy, Jaw Jack, wanting to think about pizza. Right? I'm thinking about pizza. Sorry. 
<laughs> Can't judge it too bad. Right? But there's that danger. We put ourselves on cruise control. We, we just go through life on autopilot. And, and we're not being perfected. We're not seeking the spirit. We're not reading our word. We're not praying. That's a danger. I will tell you, though, that I am so encouraged by all of you. We have several Bible studies going right now with faithful Marines. We have our, our ladies' ministry that meets on Tuesday night. They're going through Exodus. Uh, our seniors, like Paco was here first service, probably over trying to steal pizza. Uh, Paco does our, our, our seniors' ministry. They're studying Peter and Jude. Our youth group is going, well, we just finished Philippians. I think we're going to Job now, right? We're going to study uh, Job. Not Job, I'm sorry. Jonah. <laughs> I just threw up Brent's planning. I completed it, sorry. We have many faithful Bereans here. And there's more on the way. Men, I want you to know I'm looking at a book right now. I want to I get a men's ministry off the ground. Um, we're going to meet maybe every other Saturday. We'll meet 8 o'clock in the morning. I've got a good book I'm reviewing right now. I want to make sure it's good to go. Um, I think it'll be beneficial for us as Christian men in a culture that routinely attacks true biblical manhood. And I'm looking forward to launching that in a couple of weeks. If I could ask the, the worship team to come on up. My encouragement to all of you is don't stop. Don't shut off that brain. Don't put it on cruise control. Be like the faithful Marines. Search through the scriptures. Eagerly take that into your heart, but search it out. I love when I see you guys nodding and saying amen. That's great. Don't just take it into your heart, though. Look at it. Make sure it's true. My encouragement is like that of Paul to his Colossians. Paul says to his Colossians, he says, and, and, and I say to you, I have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints.